Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're heard in over 60 countries around the world. And we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And today, we're coming to you from Los Angeles. Now, we at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are about to reach a new milestone. Today is our 199th show. And next week, we are bringing up the big 200. So I hope we'll have a special show for you next week. We're certainly planning that. Now, four years ago, we began at uh, Voice America Business with a 13-week trial, and here we are bringing up our 200th show. We're pretty excited about that. It's been a great adventure, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Now, on this program, we, we love entrepreneurs, people who are creative, people who make something out of nothing, and... This show is about encouraging people to um, have, enough, have enough guts to break out of the routine, to put it all on the line, and to do something that you really enjoy doing. So we're encouraging you to be an entrepreneur, and also when you become one, we hope we're giving you information that will help you be successful. Now... Are you one of those people that's sort of old-fashioned and still charging your phone from the wall? How old school is that? Maybe you think you're really cool because now you've moved up to wireless charging. Oh, that's so last year. How about charging your phone in your jeans? Now, that sounds pretty cool. Joe's jeans have just introduced... Pants charging with its new denim line, the hashtag hello jeans. For only $190, women can now have the luxury of owning a pair of jeans with a special opening for a battery pack to charge their phones. Now, the battery pack doesn't come with the jeans. That's going to set you back about another 50 bucks, but the pack will make sure to charge your iPhone 5 and 5S from 0 to 85% and your iPhone 6 from 0 to 70%. And uh, thanks to Bendgate, jean companies consider bigger, bigger pockets, but however, unfortunately, if you want to charge your iPhone 6 Plus with your jeans, you're out of luck because the pocket isn't big enough. I mean, how often have... You know, I travel a lot, and the number of times I've walked around a bloody airport looking for a plug in a wall anywhere that somebody's not squatting next to, plugging a phone, um, charging a phone. I mean, how e- how easy would it be just to um, walk around the airport and plug your phone into your jeans? I reckon that's pretty cool. You'll, you'll need to remember to take out the battery pack and cable every time you throw it in the washing machine because that could be a, <laughs> a bit of a problem. And if you've got a lousy memory, you're probably going to fry the battery pack. 
Also, the um, hashtag hello jean is a pair of skinny jeans. So if you want something more roomier with a wide leg, U-R-S-O-L. That's shit out of luck. However, you can get the hashtag hello jean in different colours and you can buy it from Joe's Jeans online portal. So go for it, ladies. When it comes to charging your phones, it's all in your jeans. The future's happening now. Unfortunately, currently there is no jeans for men so that we can charge our phones. That's sort of reverse discrimination. Now, great news this week. We've got a couple of fantastic 3D printed medical advances to tell you about. You know, 3D printing is really changing the world in ways that we don't know about. It's sort of been silent. It's crept up on us and now 3D printers are everywhere. Now, the first advance is a new hand. For those who don't have an arm, lower arm or, or hand, the... Um, it's crafted in days at an unbelievably lower cost, which could change the game for people with disabilities. A UK-based startup, Open Bionics, has created a robotic prosthetic hand for a fraction of both the time and the cost of standard bionic limbs, and they look bloody fantastic. And this um, innovation could make assistive technology far more accessible to people with disabilities. And, it, you know, it transforms the level of dignity and independence that disabled people can experience. And the way they've gone about it, they've made it fun. Now, this startup, Open Bionics, was among 10 finalists for the Inclusive Technology Prize, selected from more than 200 applicants. Now, this is the great part. The prosthetics normally cost over $100,000 each. But 3D scanning and printing radically reduces fitting time and medical costs to 3000 bucks. So they can put arms and hands on 30 people for the cost of one normal prosthetic hand. So in addition to being cost effective, this technology allows for the hands to be made in just a few pieces and fitted to any person. And, you know, they look really cool. And uh, the, the hand that I saw uh, was really inspirational. It was had a custom design and the hand was um, Shirovsky crystal encrusted. I mean, it just looked like one of those fantastic handbags with patterns on it in in, um, in crystal. It was brilliant. But you can also get them in with a pink florals or whatever you want. Very, very cool. And it takes a lot of the stigma away from having a prosthetic arm and hand. So they're hoping that... Um, they will be able to provide amputees and other people in need of assistance with their very accessible product. So they set out to make something that was um, better and more fashionable and more daring than a regular prosthetic hand. The Swarovski 
crystal hand really does look brilliant. It's it's a fashion statement. So, you know, it's it's a point of people talking to you and praising you for your hand rather than feeling sorry for you because you've got a prosthetic arm and hand. And the second piece of great medical news, surgeons have cured a, a patient's chronic spinal problem with a 3D printed titanium implant in what could be a major breakthrough in the treatment of back pain and other orthopedic complaints. Now, the problem with these medical um, developments is everything's so bloody hard to pronounce. (laughs) Um, The patient's 100% free of chronic back pain since the custom implant was inserted four months ago to straighten this lady's spine. The small titanium implant was 3D printed, so it fit exactly into the contours of the misshapen vertebrae, and this could have major implications for a wide range of surgical procedures. You know, it could be used for things like um, implants in the neck, in the thoracic spine, as well as in surgery on the knee, the thigh, everywhere. I mean, it's just so cool. Now, as we all know, um, consumers have flocked to social media over the past 10 years. And of course, where the consumers go, the marketers are sure to follow. But according to Forrester Research, ads perform much better on some social networks than on others. And of course, Facebook is leading the pack and its ad products deliver much better results than those of its competitors. I remember having arguments with people five years ago about Facebook, and uh, I always thought Facebook was going to be the big guy, and uh, I am now more than confident I'm right. Facebook is an amazing company doing incredible things, and uh, I look forward to what they do in the future, but at the moment... 78% of social marketers are very satisfied with Facebook ads and the results they provide. For LinkedIn, that number was 68%. I love LinkedIn as well. I use it incessantly. Twitter was at 66% and YouTube was at 65%. I suspect YouTube is going to become more and more popular. I spoke to a lady... um, on the program a few months ago, who's got a fantastic app. Um, You might have remember BusyVid. Um, We spoke about BusyVid, which is a fantastic app for developing videos for um, for YouTube and for your website and wherever else you want to put it. And uh, I'm going into that next week. So in a couple of weeks, I'll tell you what the results are like. But um, I love it. Facebook also attracts a larger base of advertisers with 82% of avid social marketers currently paying for ads on Facebook compared with 62% on Twitter, 50% uh, on YouTube and only 31% on LinkedIn. So Facebook's the runaway winner everywhere there. Just 13% of social media marketers have purchased Pinterest ads. Um, And 
Now, that's surprising because Pinterest is getting more and more and more popular. It's just people are not yet using it for marketing, but I'm sure that will come. Paid advertising now accounts for 83% of marketers' social spending as it's becoming harder and harder and harder and harder to reach users on social platforms without paying to do so. If you don't pay, life's hard. Okay, hands up everybody who absolutely loves work. Well, I do, but there are a lot of people that don't. I occasionally catch public transport and you get on, the, say, a train in the morning at 7.30 or 8 o'clock when people are going to work. They are all so fucking miserable. They look like they've lost their last dollar. Now, a survey from UBS has shown that the French continue to work the least amount of hours per year in the world, and uh, they've blown away the competition. People work on an average of 1,900 hours per year in the surveyed cities, but they work much longer in Asia and Middle East. But people in Lyon and Paris spend the least amount of time at work, about 10 hours less a week. They do 10 hours less work a week. So you'd think, okay, their um, productivity is going to be shot, but no, no. Their uh, productivity is among the highest in the world. They're number 18 in the world. So they work 10 hours less than everybody else. And their um, GDP per capita is very good. Now, they, they work uh, 16 hours less than the average world, world citizen, 16% less. So that puts the French labour at about 50 cents GDP capita per hour, and that's better, 50 cents better than the US per capita hour. So you add that 50 cents up across millions of people, and a few decades, and you've got a big lesson for the rest of the world to learn. So winning is not about working hard, it's about working smart, and the French seem to have got a handle on that very well. Now, GoDaddy's now a publicly traded company. It went public in April after 18 years in business, and it's still losing money. Last quarter, the company lost $71 million on revenue of $345 million, and revenue was up only 17% from a year ago. But they've been in business 18 years, never made a dollar. So, um, but still, its um, stock price is $26. It floated at uh, $26 when it floated. So that's a solid performance for a company that's still got a, a huge amount of domestic growth in front of it, and it's making a very solid pitch for the rest of the world. Um, I don't know whether you've heard of Beyond Meat, but Beyond Meat is um, a startup that aims to manufacture fake meat using patented technology and plant products. So meat's basically five things. It's amino acids and lipids and water and trace elements and trace carbohydrates. So these are all things that are abundant in non-animal sources and in plants. So the challenge is to assemble them so that it resembles meat. But why avoid meat in the first place? Now, raising livestock is incredibly inefficient. Um, it takes a lot of land, a lot of energy, a lot of water just to generate one pound of meat from an animal, and we only eat about 30% of the animal. The rest's not useful. So by manufacturing meat, we can simulate 
simultaneously solve four problems. We can solve climate change, animal welfare, natural resources and human health. And the single largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions globally is livestock. It's not automobiles, it's not power plants, it's livestock. Now, we're not quite there yet, but it will be a while before they perfectly replicate meat, but they say that if you put it in a taco or bolognese or something like that, you can't tell the difference. But side by side, you can still tell the difference. So all of Beyond Meat's chicken and beef products can now be purchased in 4,000 stores across the country, including Whole Foods, Target, and uh, a number of conventional grocery stores. Now, if you uh, have ever run a small business, particularly in the US, you've probably used GoDaddy to buy your domain name. Um, It's the .com or whatever it is that uh, lets you find you, people find you on the web. Now, the 18-year-old company has registered 60 million domains out of a total of 294 million in the world. So what I was saying a minute ago about it being a good investment, um, I just thought about it. And if you, because if you take the next 10 companies after GoDaddy and add them all up, they still don't even come close. The company's valued at about $4 billion, huge domestic up. Um, opportunity and a massive international opportunity. So I think GoDaddy is a good investment. Now, don't forget, if you're a company director, a manager or an executive, you should definitely join the American Institute of Sales Marketing Management. Uh, It's got one goal, to raise the standard and proficiency of both individuals and company in sales, marketing and management. So what I want you to do is go to AISMM.us, go there now, have a look. Um, They've just put together a new um, advisory board. They're listed up there. It is a fantastic board of people. You won't find a better board of people anywhere in a whole bunch of disciplines. So go and have a look at AISMM.us now. Um, I've been working for a hell of a long time and I've done very well, so it's time I gave something back. So I've agreed to be the honorary president of the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. So go have a look. Do me a favour. My guest today, after the break, is Hartford Brown. And Hartford's a great guy, a Los Angeles-based attorney who represents entrepreneurs and privately owned companies on a wide range of advice on intellectual property. This is something that Every startup, every early stage business, every business needs to really know about. And uh, another area that he specialises in, which many people neglect to think about, is advising entrepreneurs how to structure companies to retain IP rights when they seek investors. So this is a must-listen-to must interview for anybody that's in business, and Hartford will be on immediately after the break. I'm Bob Pritchard. This is Voice America Business Channel. I'll be back with more of my 199th show after this short break.
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And the segment of the show where we interview people who've achieved great success and who are making a real difference in the world of business, particularly for entrepreneurs. Because this program is all about entrepreneurs. And one of the major concerns that entrepreneurs have is how to protect their intellectual property. A couple of weeks ago on this program, I discussed how a number of entrepreneurs approach us about raising funds for them and yet are absolutely paranoid about telling you anything about their business because they fear that someone is going to steal their IP. So we periodically get requests from people asking to have an IP attorney on the program and after an email from Steve Grant, who is the CEO of 8Shot in Adelaide, Australia, who has a great project, which incidentally, at the moment, I'm not at liberty to talk to you about, I decided that it was high time that we brought in an expert to discuss how to protect IP. So my guest today is Hartford Brown, or hearty to his friends, a Los Angeles-based attorney who represents entrepreneurs and privately owned companies on a wide range of advice on intellectual property. Importantly, another area that he specialises in, which many people neglect to think about, is advising entrepreneurs on how to structure companies to retain IP rights when they seek investors. Hi, Hardy. How are you? Welcome to the Bob I'm Pritchard doing... Radio Show on Voice America Business. Hi, Bob. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm I'm terrific, mate. Since we spoke a few days ago, I'm I'm really good. Now, excellent. When we talk about IP protection, we talk about patents, we talk about trademarks and service marks, copyright, trade secrets, and probably other. There's probably others as well that I don't know about. So let's start there. Let's begin by assuming that our listeners are not very well versed in protecting IP. So why don't we go through each of them one at a time. Firstly, what is a patent? How long does it take to get one? And how long does the protection last? That's the first part of the question. (laughs) And the second part of the question is, we often hear about a product being patent pending. What does that mean and how much protection does that give you? 
Great. Okay, let's tackle patents. Um, in possibly simplest terms, a patent is a registered protection of an invention. Uh, most frequently in this day and age, we, uh, that we associate patents with new technology or electronic programming or with pharmaceuticals. Uh, but a patent can also be a process or an improvement of a prior invention. Uh, and obtaining a patent essentially gives you a property right that you can exploit as the patent owner. You can market the product, you can sell it, you can license the patent to someone else to exploit, or do whatever you want. Now in the US anyway, getting a patent generally takes 18 months to three years uh, once you file your application with the patent office. And it's good for approximately, it's good for exactly 20 years as so long as you file updated documents and you pay fees at the required times to the patent office. Right. Um, now patent pending uh, means that you're claiming a right to the invention and are assuming the patent office will grant you the patent and you filed the patent application already. But it can only be, that phrase, patent pending, can only be used in limited circumstances, uh, and it does not really give you the full protection you will have once you get a registered patent. But essentially what it does is it puts others on notice that you are seeking protection for your idea or your invention, and you consider it simply a matter of time until the patent is issued and you will protect your rights. Now does the priority work on a when you lodge the application basis? I mean, if you lodged one this week for product XYZ and I lodge one in a month's time for a product XYZ that's very similar, does my patent application get priority simply because I was in there first? Not necessarily. No, they, they, the patent office will, and the courts, by the way, if you end up in litigation, will also look at first use, first invention, differences in language, uh, prior, there's a possibility neither one of you gets the patent based on prior patents. Um, so there are all sorts of factors that can go into priority and, and filing first. But certainly you don't want to delay filing um, just in case something happens down the road. Okay, you mentioned in that in your first couple of statements you can lodge an improvement to an existing patent. Does that existing patent have to be yours? No, but then you have to deal with the rights of the, the prior patent owner. Um, but it can be yours. and In fact, that's a uh, common trick in the United States anyway with pharmaceuticals is that the patent owners on a new pharmaceutical or a pharmaceutical that's been around almost 20 years will then change it slightly and file a new patent so that they can extend their protection for this drug that they've spent millions and millions of dollars researching and then marketing. Okay. Now, is a patent universal or do you have to take out separate patents in every one of the 194 countries on the planet? Uh, neither. <laughs> it's not universal, um, but there are uh, and there are patent offices in countries all around the world. Uh, but for international protection, you don't have to file in every single country. Uh, there are treaties and uh, agreements throughout the world so that you can do some bulk uh, filings. And there are services that help the inventor or usually the inventor's lawyer file internationally in a variety of countries all at once so that it's not such an immense undertaking, uh, whether it be time, effort, or money. So if, if let's say you register a patent in Europe and in North America and Australia and Japan or whatever, and somebody in Bolivia decides to... Um, I'm just picking Bolivia, so it might, it might be inside some treaty, but nevertheless, just some country that's not in a treaty, somebody in that uh, country 
produces the product against your patent can they sell that product in countries where you have a patent or are they prohibited from doing that well I'm sorry to give you a, a typical lawyer answer but the answer is they might be able to uh, it depends not only on what treaties that country is uh, is registered with but also what their internal laws say uh, you did mention Japan but Japan is one of the countries where sure. oftentimes if you don't register there they're not going to help you out. Uh, so you better register in Japan or they're going to allow companies inside Japan to, to uh, compete with your patent oftentimes. When they do produce the product though, if you've got a patent in the United States, can, can they sell that product in the United States? Well, they'll certainly try oftentimes, but you, know, the, you have remedies available to try to okay. get the government to ban import. Right. So how does a trademark protect you and how do you get one? Well, you, in the U.S., you get a trademark through the Patent and Trademark Office, um, and a trademark is uh, a mark or logo used to identify goods or services f as being from a particular source. So it can protect your name and the logo you use in connection with goods and services. Uh, generally, a trademark or a mark is a word or a phrase, maybe a symbol or design, or, or a combination of any of those, which would identify, say, Nike, so the word Nike would be the trademark, and the swoosh design uh, may be a separate trademark registered by Nike, but both would indicate the source of the product that bear the marks, in that case, Nike. So you need to trademark both your name and the product? Your name and, oh, the, and the logo. And your, and your, sorry, and your logo. Correct. Correct. Okay, and, gotcha. And, that, make, and that makes perfect sense. Sure. And in the United States with the Patent Office, um, that can take generally 10 to 18 months absent uh, challenges by others in the trademark office at the registration stage. Okay. Now, in the U.S. anyway, we, rec we recognize both registered trademarks and non-registered trademarks. So when you see, if you see Nike with a little R generally in a circle yep. next to it, yep. that means they've registered it with the patent office, or the patent and trademark office. Right. But if you see the TM symbol in the U.S., that means that it's an unregistered mark you have not gone to the patent office, but you do intend to protect your mark. So okay. if, um, if, it, if I had Hardy Brown TM and you start marketing a similar good uh, yeah. under the same name, uh, I can still sue you and enforce my mark if I can prove various things, uh, but I don't get all of the remedies at the end of the litigation that I would get if it's registered. Okay, and the best way to... Um establish your bona fides of owning the product is to use it in use the trademark in advertising or in some sort of material that's out there in the general public so that it's seen as um, um, being used right absolutely you as long as you use it in commerce right. uh, and you use the, the little TM or certainly once you have the R absolutely use that in connection with the mark you intend to protect okay service mark what is that well, it's a, it's, it's a related item to a trademark, but it's identifying the service rather than the product or its provider. So it could be uh, a company that offers services. Uh, my firm's name is Kleindienst PC, and if we, we wanted to uh, brand it as a service mark, we provide legal services to you, that sort of thing. So okay. it's very similar to a trademark, uh, and frankly, a lot of people don't even know about a service mark when that's the proper thing for them to be registering for rather than a trademark. Okay. Copyright. 
It's also an extremely important prote protection. What is it? And again, how do you obtain copyright protection? Okay, well, a copyright generally protects creative works of an author. And that can be a wide variety of things. That can be a song, uh, a book, or other writing. Or it can also, in, at least in the United States, again, that can be blueprints for a building. And an architect would have a copyright automatically in his or her blueprints. Uh, getting a copyright in the States is generally easier than uh, obtaining a registered patent or trademark. Um, and instead of the U.S. government deciding to put it all in one place, they have a separate office for copyrights called the U.S. Copyright Office. Yeah. Um, and, and it's generally much simpler, easier to do uh, or to apply for and get than it is for a trademark or a patent, as I said. So if you're a software developer out there, would you copyright, can you copyright code? Is that like a written word? Uh, code, you usually want to, yeah, you want to look at that and it's a case by case, but you, you want to consider copyright or patent. Okay. Okay. The, the one protection that really confuses me, and I hear about it a lot and, and seemingly more and more, is trade secret. You know, I often have people saying that, you know, the major corporations troll patent applications looking for great ideas and you know, when they find them, they can modify them and steal them. Uh, I've been told a lot that you're better off not patenting something and keeping it trade secret. So, what really is trade secret? Does that logic make any sense? Sort of. <laughs> um, I, I don't <laughs> love that idea, and I would, I would probably not advise a client to do that. It sounds like what, what the, the logic is. Um, is that if you have this process and you want to keep it confidential, you keep it a trade secret because once you apply for the patent, you have to disclose the idea in your patent filing to determine sure. whether it's patentable. Um, whereas a trade secret, you don't have to register anywhere. Uh, the, the legal definition of a trade secret here in California, and this is fairly uniform uh, throughout the United States, is any formula or practice or process or design or even a compilation of information which is not, which is not generally known to the public, uh, which can provide an economic advantage. But there's also a second key to it, and that is that you have to uh, take reasonable steps to keep the information confidential to get trade secret protection. So not only do you not disclose it publicly, but a lot of times you don't even want to disclose the trade secret to employees that don't need to know it. And doing things in this day and age like password protection, uh, even within the company to get to the trade secrets is a really good idea uh, to really show that you've undertaken the steps necessary to keep this information private. Couldn't, couldn't somebody just do a run-round, somebody a little devious, couldn't somebody just do a run-round trade secret by backdating a whole bunch of letters and things and putting them in their files saying, you know, we were working on this in 2004? They could try. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think, though, that in this day and age, that's getting harder and harder to do. Uh, when you're in litigation now, you don't just look for hard documents. You look for the electronic history of those documents. Yeah. Um, so in these disputes, I'd be asking for the computer hard drive, which would show me when this document was created, and frankly, every hard drive since then. So if I can find the ghost of the image on any one of your hard drives showing that you created it in 2011, though you're claiming 2004, that can blow your argument out of the water. Okay. It's also a common belief among people that 
I speak to, and this has been a sort of common belief for years and years and years, that if you modify, modify a patent or a copyright or a trademark by 30% or more, then you can circumvent the protection. Is that true or false? Yes. <laughs> I don't think there Bloody is magic formula. Answers. Jeez. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think there is a magic formula. I don't think you can say it's 20% or 30% or 80%. Right. Uh, and I think that in considering this, there's a two-step analysis. And, and the first one is, can you get the registration? Can you get that patent or that right. trademark, for instance? And then second, can you protect it in litigation? So the first step is is uh, the registration, and if you alter a pre-existing patent, uh, first of all, it may be an improvement, so you may be able to get it that way. But secondly, it may be that uh, the examiner within the patent office uh, allows it, or someone nobody challenges it, so you get through. But more likely, and these people are really smart and good at what they do, they'll often come back to you with questions or clarifications, or tell you, look, we don't like this part, we think it's too close so that they can try to issue a patent which is not, uh, which they don't consider infringing on the other patent. Now once you get that mark or that patent, now you have the courts. And even if you have a registered trademark, for instance, if I think that it's confusingly similar to my trademark, which pre-exists yours, I can still sue you for infringing on my trademark. And saying that you've, had, you've gotten a registration from the government is not an absolute defense to my claims. So. That goes back to your 30%. Is it enough or is it not enough to alter it by 30%? Well, that's going to be decided by the judge or the jury. Okay. So the ones that we've mentioned, uh, we've, we've mentioned um, patents, we've mentioned um, trademarks, service marks, copyright, trade secret. Are there any that I've missed? Any protections that you can use that I've missed? No, the, I think the, those are all of the types of intellectual property an entrepreneur or business owner would be interested in. There, there's additional analysis, though, and that's you want to be considering how what your intellectual property is and how do you protect it from day one. You want to do it in forming your company, in licensing it, in your employment contracts with your employees, with independent contractor agreements, and the like. So you want to consider things like work for hire and pre-existing inventions of employees and the like. Uh, so it's not just registration where you have to worry about it. It's at every step in your business. You have to be thinking about intellectual property. That's great advice. So if one wants to get a patent, for example, when I walk into Hartford Brown's legal office to get the process started, apart from having a suitcase full of money, what do I need <laughs> to bring into you? Well, another suitcase full of money. <laughs> and No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I, I would say a few things. You need patience. Because these are, you know, business people want things done immediately. Sure. And the government works at its own pace. Um, so I think patience is one. I think also the more homework you've done regarding your intellectual property and similar intellectual property, uh, the more homework you've done on that before you meet with your lawyer, the better off you are because it just means less time and less money to research it. Uh, although I'm sure the law, you know, in j most cases, the lawyer is going to want to go do his or her own uh, supplemental research, and that's something you should work out with your lawyer. Uh, I would also suggest that you have questions ready. How long is this going to take? What is the process? How do you work? How do you communicate with me? All of those sorts of things are that are important to you 
have ready when you go in because you're interviewing the lawyer uh, and that the lawyer is performing a service for you. So you should be comfortable with that person just as you would with an employee. And then I would say be prepared to make the determination, is this lawyer a good fit for me or not? He or she may be imminently qualified, but he or she may not be a great fit for you and your business. And, and so I think you should be prepared to take everything that's said with that in mind and whether it's going to help you get to that goal and having a good working relationship with your lawyer. Okay. So I've got a, I've got a new invention. I want to patent it. Um, what sort of costs are involved here? Um, to get a patent in the United States, for example, excluding legal fees, what, what sort of Excluding costs? legal fees, uh, it's a couple thousand dollars. Uh, including legal depends. fees. <laughs> including legal fees. It, it, it varies greatly, again, and I, I apologize again for another lawyer answer, but the complexity, how much homework you've done ahead of time, how well written out and thought out your invention is, and then once you get to the patent office, it's a little bit out of everybody's control as to how much it's going to cost because the patent examiner may have a lot of questions or clarifications or a lot of work to do with the patent office, and a competitor may challenge your application in the patent office. Right. So even if you prevail, obviously, that's expensive. So it can be tens of thousands of dollars. Okay, so if I, if I want to protect myself all around the planet, what sort of ballpark number do I need to have in mind? $100,000? Would that protect me around the world? It really varies case by case, but I don't think that's an unreasonable initial budget. And I think that once you meet with your lawyer, that the lawyer understanding the idea and where you really need to protect your idea, they can help you develop a budget before you get too far along in the, in the process. Okay. This, is, this, I think, is a very important question. Why is it important to have IP advice before you get investors involved. Why is that well, important? Sure, several of our clients are developers of an idea, whether it's an, um, a patent or a mark or, or a copyright. Um, and if our client is the one who's invented the patent or the process or has written the movie and then needs investors to bring that product to market, uh, there are several approaches you can take. The simplest way is put it in a company and bring investors in as your co-owners and getting loans and the like. But in some cases, our, inventor, our, invest, our clients who are the inventors do not want the investors to own any intellectual property. They just want to help them exploit it to a predetermined point. Right. So we work with our clients ahead of time to determine which, which way to go with this uh, it would be. And sometimes that is setting up two entities the first of which is owned only by the invest, inventor, pardon me, uh, and that company owns the IP and licenses the IP to a second company, and the investors actually buy into that second company, which only has a license agreement for the intellectual property. Yeah, that's what and that way, if there are problems, you can still ultimately try to control your intellectual property down the road. Yeah. Do you find that most investors, or in my experience, most investors want to be involved in the company that has the IP. That's true too, um, and depending on how much money they're bringing to the table, you can always make exceptions as well. Yeah, so there's sure. greater flexibility. If I'm going to come in and give you, say, 50% of what you own, what uh, of what you need to bring a product to market, then maybe you let me in that company that owns the IP. But if your neighbor is going to give you $100, maybe you only want him or her in the one with the license. Right, right. 
yeah, that's that's the ideal. It's just somehow very hard to do once you get sitting across a negotiating table with an investor. It that suddenly becomes a hard one. Well, it certainly does not work all the time, and that's why we work to determine ahead of time what's going to work here, and also with enough flexibility so that if you do get a whale investor down the road, there's enough flexibility to do what he, she, or it demands, which yeah. is participating yeah, in the ownership of the IP. Right. Hartford, thank you very much for being on the program. It's been great to speak with you. Um, you know, I'm I'd be the last to say that lawyers are overpaid, but um, when you leave the building, could you please take your Lamborghini and... I'm <laughs> only kidding. <laughs> no, it's a, but it is an expensive exercise to protect um, your intellectual property, but it is something that if, if you're building, you really believe in, in, in the product and uh, you want to make a lifetime... Um, career out of it or you want to sell it on to somebody you have to make sure that it's well and truly protected now if you'd Absolutely. like to know more about how to protect your IP you can email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and I will introduce you directly to Hartford he's a hell of a guy and after you get to know him for a while he'll let you call him Harty this is Bob Pritchard and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard radio show on Voice America Business and I'll be back with you in just a moment. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 199th Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. This is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs, and Voice America Business is the number one internet radio network on the planet how good's your memory now i don't mean uh what happened this morning or what happened a month ago or even what happened two years ago how much of your whole life do you remember if you're like the average person you only remember about 0.001 percent that's about 1% of your life you remember. And that's if you've got a good memory. If your memory's dodgy, it's worse than that. So, sorry, that's one thousandth of your life you remember. This is about to be changed by a startup company called LifeLogger, which, if it lives up to its promise, could be massive. LifeLogger was named among the top five startups at CES by Entrepreneur.com and other tech media. The company's vision, it sounds like it's coming straight out of a Star Trek film. It might even seem incredibly far-fetched, but their idea is really brilliant. And the wearable technology industry is supposed expected to grow by a staggering $20 billion in 2018. That's only two and a half years away. And life-flogging 
has the potential to play a huge role in wearable technology's future growth. GoPro is primarily a wearable camera that you use to log your sport activities. However, LifeLogger recognises the fact that there's a lot more in life than sports and that people would like to um, record all of it for posterity and for their own reminiscing at some time in the future. Imagine how cool it would be to sit down in 50 years' time or 10 years' time or 20 years' time and see your life at school. Watch yourself through your teens. Watch yourself go through college. Or watch your kids grow up in front of you. That's the promise that LifeLogger presents. I think it's extraordinarily exciting. LifeLogger records your life by recording video, audio, and GPS information through the wearable point of view. The recorded information then can be uploaded on the cloud where it's processed and stored. The software extracts the faces that you've seen, converts the words you've said into a searchable text format, as well as optical character recognition of any street signs or text that you read. So while all this is happening, the GPS coordinates your location at the time of recording. It even lets you track the direction in which you are looking. So imagine being able to rewind your life and relive the moments that are closest to your heart. For example, this software can tell you that you're at the Eiffel Tower. You saw your wife's face. There was a sign that read restaurant. You were talking about truffles. All you need is to put any of those words into the search tags and the video with any of those will come up immediately. So you can actually see the look on your wife's face or whatever at the time and revisit it. With its wireless capability, you can live stream what you see and hear to include your geographical location anywhere in the world. The public now has access to technology that at one time was available only to the security forces. So this is as close as we can get to augmented memory and the potential of life logging, either for personal or professional use. And it's got to be unlimited. So someone can start when they're two or three years old and record their whole life. I think it's fantastic. And uh, I really want to follow the progress of this amazing idea because I wish I had have started it a long time ago. It would be wonderful. Now, here's an idea that's much better than having employees sitting around your factory crying and complaining about how lousy Amazon is to work for. GoDaddy sticks its star employees in a glass box and tell them to grab as much cash as they can in 15 seconds. Now, this is a pretty cool idea to incentivize staff and GoDaddy, you know, particularly after the revelations about working at Amazon that came out this week. Gee, that was devastating, wasn't it? Uh, Jeff Bezos, I don't know whether he knows what's happening on his um, distribution floor, obviously not, but it's not only the guys working in distribution, it's the guys that are in the office. They all seem to be as miserable as hell. Only 60% of the employees at Amazon would recommend other people work there. Whew, that's pretty lousy. Now, 
Amazon's down in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, sorry, GoDaddy's down in Tempe, Arizona, and they got a, this cash machine. And um, but it's not an ATM. So when a salesperson hits a certain number, you know they've got to get a certain performance. They're invited to put on a special jacket with big pockets. They crouch down in this clear plastic booth in view of the rest of the team. There's a metal grid that they stand on and beneath the grid is a really powerful fan. Now, when the fan goes on, the booth is filled with money flying around everywhere. Now, whatever the salesperson can grab and stuff into their pockets in the next 15 seconds, well, they get to keep it. And at the end, they're told to stay crouched so whatever leftover bills that have fallen on their back, they can um, keep. So apparently, employees can make six to $700 each time they step into the machine. So that's a pretty good incentive for being a bloody good salesman, isn't it? Now, I seem to remember a television show with this format and this sort of machine. And I seem to recall that the thing about it is that the money's racing around so quick with the fan that very few people actually caught anything. I remember that, you know, there's $10,000 in this booth and it's whizzing around and yet people walked out with a $50 Mm. um, Still, it's a good idea. It provides entertainment. It makes the people in the booth feel important. And if they do crack it for six or seven hundred bucks, that's a fantastic bonus. You know, GoDaddy really incentivates people in a whole bunch of ways. Um, And they they incentivate this, the three and a half thousand customer care agents that they have. And they, they say that these people are GoDaddy's secret weapon. They, um, so all of these people are critical to the company's future. And uh, they attend NASCAR races. They have special events with inspirational speakers. You can win dinners with the CEO There's a whole bunch of things you can do and that's a cheap way to incentivate people. I reckon it's terrific and uh, you avoid the issues that um, Amazon's found itself embedded in this week. And actually, I was really surprised and I'm sure Jeff Bezos was as well because um, it's really, I've always imagined um, Bezos to be a really fair guy. I know he's a workaholic and I know he demands... Um, a lot from his staff, but um, you know they're they're earning good money, and you know he wants everybody to believe in that the company's theirs as well, and that by working hard they'll achieve and get better satisfaction and whatever. And I, I and I think that's a hundred percent true. So I hope that um, we hear over the next few weeks that. Um, there's more attention paid to the 
feelings of the staff and what's happening to them from management. Now, every month, I send out a monthly newsletter, which uh, goes out to about 16,000 people, well, 16,000 business people in over 60 countries around the world. It goes out every month. And if you want to subscribe to it, you simply go on to bobpritchard.com. So go on my website and just subscribe to the newsletter. I also send out one every week, which is the summary of the radio show for anybody who listened and wanted to take notes or had to miss one. Um, it is sent to you every month, every week, sorry, and you get that, and um, a lot. That's that's had fantastic uh, response. And as I mentioned earlier, I've just been appointed the honorary president of the American Institute for Sales Marketing Management. It's one way that I can give back, um, and it's the premier body for anybody who really wants to get ahead in sales marketing and management. Obviously, we've just um, appointed a new advisory board. I'm not sure how many people are on it. I think about 20 and they're all listed with their photographs on the site. So if you go to aismm.us, that's aismm.us, have a look. I think you'll be pretty impressed. Next week, as I mentioned, it's our 200th show. And I still remember I was given a 13-week trial four years ago so um, I guess I must have passed the trial I remember being so nervous I was I'd never you know I've done a lot of things I've done a lot of public speaking and I've done millions and millions of meetings but I'd never done radio and I was I was really scared but um, it worked out good I've really met a lot of fantastic people and uh, thousands of wonderful people and a lot of very successful people. For that, I'm extremely grateful. Next week also, we've got Ken Rakowski, who is an extraordinary businessman. He's a speaker. He's host of the brilliant Business Rockstars program on CBS Radio. It's broadcast daily right across the country for a couple of hours. Um, he's also the CEO and host of Metal which is the extraordinary group of entrepreneurs that I often speak about on this program. So Ken is one of the greats in the new media, the new media and new business uh, that's happening right across this country. He's a trailblazer and one of the superstars of the, of the business scene in the United States, and he knows absolutely everybody. And it's a privilege for me to have him on the show next week. So no matter what you do, don't miss... Ken Rakowski. Now, it's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. So I hope you join with me. Get out there. Become an entrepreneur. Take a risk. Kick the hell out of this world. It's a great place. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again for my 200th show next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.